Hey everyone, I'm your host, James Jackson, and this is ArtCast. Join me each episode as we shine the spotlight on a category management or shopper insights professional doing compelling work in the trenches. Let's dive right in. I'm really excited to have here today with me, Corliss Collier, Head of Product Management Technology and Business Intelligence with the Alexa Shopping Organization. Corliss, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, James. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is going to be fun. Really exciting. Yeah, I think it will be. So, you know, before we get started with all of our guests, um, I usually just like to have you do a short overview of your career, maybe two or three minutes, and then from there we'll dive right in. Oh, wow. (laughs) So we go back to the dark ages, (laughs) just joking, back when we still had dialing and those things and really, yeah, that's what it is. Like Morgan told me I was from the dark ages the other day. So we go back then. I started my career actually um, in sales. Um, not because I was good at it, not because I loved it, but because that was the foot in the door. You know, you had to, that was the way in the door to work into in the industry. I originally went to move to the U.S. and went to undergrad to go to law school. Um, <laughs> but I admit, I remember, you know, after I think it was senior year in law school and I called my father like it was probably about one in the morning his time in Germany. And I called him and I told him I want to be a bartender. So you can imagine calling a German Ethiopian father telling him you want to be a bartender when he's paying how much money for you to go to school. <laughs> so that call didn't go well. So that that, that hung up quickly. It, but I didn't want to be a bartender full time. I think it was just like, you know, when you're at that 2021, like every idea is the best idea in the world. But you look back now. So, um, but actually, so I, you know, went to, went to undergraduate Spelman and then I went on my career and I started in sales with Philip Morris. That was the way into the doors to come into their sales program. Quickly, um, went through that program, moved into their um, data analytics, business analytics world, you know, promoted. I was good at sales, but not because I was good at sales. Um, I was good at sales because I wanted to get out of it. <laughs> so, so so, that's kind of the thing. So people always think like, oh, you're a great salesman. No, I'm not. I'm the worst salesman in the world. All you have to do is tell me no once or I don't want it. I'm like, okay, let's go get ice cream. You know, uh, so I'm not a good salesman. So for those of you guys out there listening, don't ever ask me to sell anything. But if you ask me the solution for you, I can do that. And so that takes you to my career later in life. Um, so then I went into a business analytics. I, I've always been in love with analytics and numbers, although I had an econ degree and a political science degree and a business a business minor. I've always loved in finding out what happens with numbers and how do you apply them to like make people care. So what? So then I moved into business analytics for a while, did that for a while, then moved into a channel manager role was a title. But as we guys all know out there and listen to this podcast, titles are titles. It's not about the title. It's what they ask you to do. What's your job? Is Then I moved into a role. It was a channel manager role, which was category management. And my approach to category management was always kind of along the fringes. And this is way back in the days um, when I met Dan Strunk, actually, in a group. And so it's always been in, in, it was always on the fringes. It was kind of like kind of category management, but more consultative selling type of organization. Again, I go back to, I'm not a good salesman, but I can help you solution. And so I um, started doing um, channel management there. And then I went into, you know, kept continuing on category management roles, built those into insights teams. When I was promoted into a role of authority, so to speak, where I was in charge of the departments, I said, okay, well, we're not going to be category management teams. Anybody can go in and tell you, sell this promotion, sell that do this, do that, put it on this shelf, and my brand's going to do a walk around, wah, wah, wah. I approached it more from a process of how do I help my clients, retailers, 
or my brands kind of grow their total categories and keep customers coming back to them for that, create that destination. So I did that for many years. Then I moved into some roles that were kind of driven around kind of, um, you know, keep with the category management, providing those assets and things, and just really solution selling and building those products. Uh, and in that time, I continued to go to school, get more degrees. So I didn't want to be a bartender anymore. <laughs> so my dad was okay. He'd come off of that um, that shock <laughs> by then, you know. Um, and so that kind of it was, you know, kind of my path there. And I've kind of worked, you know, worked through my life in the past 20, oh goodness, 22 years, 23 years. Um, somewhere on the fringes or around thereabouts in this industry, working with pretty much all the retail, all your major retailers globally. I've worked all over the globe, um, as well as all retailers in the um, U.S. I've definitely interacted with them somehow. So it's been fun. It's been amazing. Yeah, no, that that's really, I I didn't know you had the bartender story. That's that's hilarious. You never know what kids are going to call and say to their parents. I think I'm getting that back now in spades. I, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. So, so that was great. Um, I'd love to dive in more. So if you're ready, let's get in the trenches. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get in the trenches. All right. So obviously you're now with Amazon in product management, but when you started, as you mentioned, it was Philip Morris in sales, very different category channel, very different time. So you, you kind of glossed over a little bit. Can you talk about that selling experience? And you even kind of threw out there, I was good at it because I was trying to get out of it. So <laughs> would love to learn more about, about that first experience. That first experience was, it was really, a lot of what you see in Corliss today came out of the things I learned in that first experience. So between working at Philip Morris, it's my first big girl job, I call it. And then I was at the same time I went to school and I was like, oh, you know, I got my MBA and I got my MBA during the same time. I learned a lot. So a lot of my business processes that I learned in, thank you, PM, are have come through and they've been, they've been evolved and they form the way that I behave nowadays. It was a role where it was a tobacco industry. What more um, controversial at that time? You got to think about the time when I entered that, that industry than tobacco. I think that was kind of like, I don't want to say it was just kind of a shot of value to my grandmother, but it was a little bit, you know, rest of a little bit. It was just, I've always been like that rebel. So it was a little bit of that shock value to her. Um, it, I, I didn't intend, uh, I'm going to be very, I did, never intended to get the job with Philip Morris. Philip Morris, as with many companies, then at the time when I was an undergrad, as many companies still do today, they recruit heavily on campuses. And I remember there was a career fair one day. It was like a, I want to say it was a Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday night. And, you know, a lot of my friends were going to this career fair because it was going to be, you know, your, your big four consulting companies were going to be there. PM was going to be there. Craft, uh, the time PM owned Craft, but they still recruited separately. Craft was going to be there. You know, all just think of the big CBG, um, P&G, all this was going to be there. I mean, Corliss, you, you remember I told you at the beginning, I was headed to law school. So I didn't care about that. So my friends were all going to this career fair. I was doing homework and I remember I was in my dorm room and I was like in like the world's oldest pair of sweatpants. <laughs> and, you know, they're all suited and booted and ready. You know, you're, you're taught all these things. You go to the career fair and I had on like a school sweatshirt that I had probably had on for probably, I mean, I'm in college. Let's, 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 let, let's let none of us act like we didn't do this. Okay. I had this sweatshirt on that I probably had on for like maybe say 
two to three days now, you know, I don't know. Let, let's be honest with ourselves, guys out there listening. Like, you know, we were in college. We were paying quarters to do laundry. Things got warm quite often, okay? <laughs> um, and I remember, and at the time, my guilty pleasure was Jerry Springer. I know. I, you gotta imagine, a girl who, wore, who grew up watching BBC and Sky TV, I moved to the US and I see this thing like Jerry Springer, and I'm like, what is this? People get to get on TV and act like this? So it was like, it was just, it would suck me in and I would like go into a trance. And I remember Philip Morris is there recruiting and I wanted to go eat dinner. And if you know we live on campus, if you don't go during the cafeteria hours, you kind of starve. This is before we didn't have DoorDash and Uber Eats and all these luxuries our kids have nowadays. It was like, you eat or you starve. You know, that's what we did. Um, and we didn't have kitchens in our dorm room. So you pretty much ate and couldn't live off of, um, I used to live off of cheese at crackers. <laughs> so um, I went to the, I went to the room where the career fair was being held, but I didn't go to interview. Remind you, remember James, what I told you I had on, you know, like I had on like, the, like I look like a bum, you know, not a student, like a bum. I went in to like tell my friends, like, come on, let's go eat, you know, like, Let's go eat. Like I was trying to give them the wave, like, come on, come on. And while I was walking there, people who've met me, I've never met a stranger. I just like meeting people. I like interacting with people. So I was talking to someone walking through. Had no idea I was talking to like a big this person who was like a section director at Philip Morris at the time. So I got a call. Um I got a call in my room. So this was before cell phones for our younger listeners. So it was either you were home or you're not home. You know, we didn't have follow me and text message. Thing. I got a call in my dorm room. And of course, my roommate had taken a, a message. And of course, again, I'll say this. This is before cell phone. So you have to depend on your roommate to take a message. And it may or may not be complete. It may or may not even be a real message. You don't know. Um, but I got a call um, from our our career department. And they had also sent an email to me. But this was, email was still relatively newish. So we didn't check email like we check now, like all day, every day. Like we checked it like once a week or whatever. And they were like, hey, I don't know what you did. And number one, why you were dressed like that. But this company really wants to meet you. <laughs> and I was like, I did nothing. And I was dressed like that because I wanted to go eat. <laughs> and those who know me, you guys know, I'm always good for a great meal. You know, like that's what I want is a good meal. <laughs> so I was like, it was not my intention to get interviewed because I had already stopped for the LSAT, taking all that stuff. I wasn't going to school. And so we were, so I ended up interviewing and, you know, doing the whole process. And they're like, oh, we know you don't want to work, but just try to interview. I'm like, oh, then they're like, oh, just come hang out. And they were really great people. And that was what it was. It was the people. They were really amazing. And it just sucked me in. And so I was like, I'm not a salesman. And they're coming to a sales. I was like, I know nothing about tobacco. I'm not a salesman, whatever. But I guess that really was when you become, you can prove your fruit if you're a good salesman. Can you sell something that you really don't know how to use? <laughs> you don't know what it is. So, so, so I started sales and that was the way into their program where they recruited from is you had to come in as a sales manager and then you were promoted as their program with moves to analytics. So I moved into, from there, I moved into analytics. So that kind of was the start of the journey, uh, which made the coilers as the coilers now. So of course, now you'll never catch me on a pair of old sweatshirt and uh, <laughs> sweatpants. But if you guys remember, if you see me, that was me. And hey, that sweatshirt still lives. My daughter actually, she goes to my alma mater now. She still uses that sweatshirt. It might be lucky. We don't know. <laughs> that, that's a great story. And, and I will tell you, though, as much as you say you're not a salesperson, when you talked about just nobody is a stranger and it, it sounds like instantaneously you must have built a rapport or a relationship. 
And that's what song is, really. It's it's about relationships. So, so you, you probably were a lot better than you thought you were. <laughs> I did. I learned that later in life that yeah. I, you know it was about relationships. And just recently, I think about maybe two months ago, I, I met um, a very senior executive here at Amazon, and they were like, "Oh, I've heard about you." And I was like, "It's all lies." all lies. And they were like, no, they were like, you're a connector. And I never thought about it like that. And when they said that, I was kind of like, yeah, I kind of do. And it's so funny. I just was before coming here, was writing an email to introduce some people, some people who should really know each other. They should two total different continents, countries, but I know them both. I was like, oh, so-and-so meet so-and-so, so-and-so meet so I don't know. I just like to put good people together. And like I said, I haven't met anyone that's not good yet in this industry. Yeah, so so you're doing sales and you met, met, you met, um, about the channel manager role. Um, when did you first really understand or learn about category management and what it was? It was probably about a year and a half into my sales role, right when I was at my first promotion. It was kind of like when you would go in and you're kind of selling in your organization's promotion, selling in your product placement. And the, I started to think like, hmm, well, why would I only be worried about just my stuff? Because if this retailer's department doesn't work, then my stuff doesn't work. So I started to like to adapt that mentality of like, as the t- if the tide rises, all ships will rise. And so I, that's what I started to think about things like if I approach this differently versus just kind of focusing on making my stuff do well, you know, do good. If I made the category perform and if my brand truly is what I say my brand is, my brand will rise to the top. So it was almost like, you know, when you said the cream will rise to the top, that's the kind of how I started to approach it. And I started to realize that, hmm, so maybe now I'm managing these people's categories like that aspect in those places. When I started looking at that, and then I started seeing my numbers where I, were, I was taking retail, because, you know, back in the tobacco industry, back in those days, convenience channel, that was the place to win. And when I started seeing my numbers and, you know, my things that were turning around, like, and those things like that, I was seeing the growth, you know, consumption, those things. I was like, I must be doing something right. But also, but if you would look at it initially, they would say, well, why didn't you only sell in the promotion at this point versus that point? And then you would see how the total category, well, then my managers come back like, hmm, maybe you're on to something, maybe you know. So that was, kind of, but it, it just really was kind of one of those things that I don't want to say I fell into it, but I, I kind of fell in, at that time, if you talk to that Corliss, those 20 years ago, I fell into that. I didn't know what I didn't know. But of course, if you asked me then, I was the smartest thing walking the earth, you know. You guys all didn't know. You all were figured out. I knew. Um, but, you know, so so that was one of the things that I didn't realize at the time. But, and really, people say, oh, well, that was genius. She figured out it wasn't genius. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Again, listeners out there, I love you guys. Some of you guys know I love me. Instances know me. I was being lazy. So I was like, if I can get this category to do well, then my brands would do well. And if my brands would do well, then my bonus check would look great. And my bonus check looks great. That's another pair of shoes. You have to think like 20-year-old, 22-year-old Corliss. You, you know, you have to think. I'm just being very honest, Jay. Well, those out there who know me, who've worked with me in this industry, you know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> of course, that was Corliss 20-some-odd years ago, but that was my line of thought. So I was like, well, then, hmm. So I would sit down and think about it and put things together like that. So that that's really how I moved into category management, channel management. Interesting. So, so I, I think people could tell you have a personality. And, and you're you're very gregarious and 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 love to share, but you also mentioned that you have this analytical side to you. You love data, you love numbers, and so you go from Philip Morris to Nielsen. No, I had a R.J. Reynolds in between. I know, I know, I know, guys, I know, guys. Shh, 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 
competition. So, so, so you, you do finally go third party. You, you make that change. What, why did you do that? What was that experience like working for more, you know, the syndicated side, the data side, analytics? Um, curious why, why you made that move. So when I moved to the data side of the business, that was about the time when I wanted to start focusing on, I was, I think I was where at the time I may have been working on my, guys that understand every move also always has a core list in the back, a reason for core list. I was working on my uh, theory that I had about kind of how do we, um, I think I was starting my doctoral program, that's what it was. Was it that or was it? My other yeah, masters. Here. Anyway, it doesn't matter, but it was, it was an ML program. I know a lot of people think we chat GPT and those things like our AI and ML is new. It's not. Yeah. It's been around for a long time. <laughs> we'll get to that later in the call. I'm sure Jay will talk about some of that. But I used, in my approach that I had started using in category management is I would write models to do predictive performance. And in order to get my hands on enough of the data to make that work, I had to work for data. So I went to work for, for Nielsen, <coughs> excuse me, and I worked on their side that did um, the segmentation work, so spectra, the segmentation and their targeting. So that was kind of like my specialty, like how do my models help you segment and target those customers that are going to be, again, this cordless, trying to get more juice out of the rock. <laughs> so how do I get more out of it? So how do I help brands target and segment their customers to where they can do the least and get the most? And how did I test my models and working on that? So that's how I ended up working at Nielsen. And I had a great time working there, working with those teams here. So I don't know if I told you, but I work for Spectrum. Okay. So there you go. So I started when it was still Spectrum before it became part of Nielsen. So you were behind the behaviorscape modeling and all of that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Love that experience. Super powerful tool for targeting. And I got to test it with a really interesting client at the customer at the time, a client, a client that was kind of going through a complete market shift, wife shift, product brand shift through to that time. You got it. It was um, Eastman Kodak Company was my primary client. And then the secondary client was Coca-Cola Company. But just kind of you got to think about at that time, you know, Eastman Kodak film was still hanging on, but digital cameras were big. Now we don't even talk about digital camera. We talk about cameras on our phone. But, you know, it was just kind of like the company was kind of repositioning and rebranding and just kind of re completely flipping itself around. I thought, so it was really, really fun time to work with that company and to work with um, and that's Nielsen business at that time. So I had I had a great time. Interesting. OK, so so you do that. Now you go back into category management and you do a number of different stints, different companies, a lot of work there. Um but if if we had to narrow it down, what would you say you learned about what is a key or keys to success within that field? Well, really? I don't know. Now, James, you make me feel bad. You keep saying you did a number of things. I don't want people out there to think I'm not loyal now. <laughs> I think the biggest thing I learned during these times really is that you never know all of what you think you know. And that was big to me. Um, I found that anytime I walked into a project or with a customer, a client, business partner, anywhere, thinking that I had figured it all out, it was always going to be a shoe to drop. Um, and as soon as I was able to embrace that, that helped me take the things I was doing in my career and just kind of even more. Because when you really are open to learning and adjusting, that was the biggest learning for me. Like, 
Yes, you may have it figured out to about 75%, um, but keep moving quickly. And that's something that we use at Amazon. I know I'm jumping way ahead and we'll get this in, but we call it a two-way door decision. You know, make make that decision. So that was kind of in those roles that I did in that time after Nielsen and before. Uh, that's why I learned a lot. It's like, how do I really help engage customers, understand and learn? But you have to learn faster than the brands think they're learning if you're, if you're in true category and in insights role. And you also have to learn faster than the customers. But the scary thing about that is that our customers got faster when you got to think also during that time in my category management and insights um, journey, the internet became more and more and more widespread. Cell phones, people had the truth, and I say truth with air quotes, at the palm of their hands now and their phones. We went from flip phones. Yes, I had one of those. <laughs> we went from flip phone, heavy phones, the smaller flip phones, the flip phones to now you can do multi-touch text to now you have smartphones. And so that accelerated how fast customers were learning. And so that also, if you were good in your category and your insights, well, I said that's about the time also that I moved from just one category to insights. So, so what? Anybody can come and present you a chart is up, is down, is right or left, but make me care. I don't care. Yeah, I can see that it's up. I can see that it's down. Make me care. And that became my focus of making people care, make people take action. So I would always have that, the, this is why you should care and this is what I think you should do about it and align with it. Um, because their customers, like I say, they got faster and faster as long as they had these things at the palm of their hands. I love it. Make me care. And that, so, and you've seen with the CMA, we've, um, whether it's storytelling, all, all the different modules, um, that is, it, it, that resonates and is a repeated uh, phrase, you know, about make me care and storytelling within a number of our episodes. So you, you, you're obviously doing very, very well uh, within category management and shopper insights. And as you said, your career is kind of skyrocketing. And then you make this move into product management and go to Amazon. So how are you able to do that? Because there's one thing to say you're really good at data, you're really good at category, you're really good at shopper insights. That's another thing to, to go into product management, especially with an organization like Amazon. So what? how did you do it? Well, really, it's not so different. And the reason why I say it's not so different, it's not so different if you're doing category management from a customer first standpoint. So if you're building back from the customer, if you truly understand who your customer is, your customer is not the brand team, it's not the marketing department, it's not the trade department, it's not your sales VP. If you're building back from your customer, your customer is the person who will give you permission to do the work. Um, so originally when I came to Amazon first, the first role I was in Amazon, I was brought in to build a marketing measurement organization. So basically to take every dollar that we spent across all of Amazon businesses. So whether it been Amazon.com. So if you're going online and you're ordering a case of paper towels, or if you're shopping at Whole Foods or you're streaming movies, but any marketing that's spent by any Amazon business, and I'm not going to name all of our Amazon businesses because people will blow people's mind. I laugh when people say, oh, I don't do business with Amazon, those big multinationals. And then I'm looking at their such and such. Bottom. Okay. <laughs> You'll be surprised. <laughs> I, I leave it at that. You you would be surprised. Um, any AWS marketing. So I would, and I built the market measurement organization. So when our marketing teams across the organization would spend a dollar, how would that customer come back again? Working from the customer, how would their flywheel come back into Amazon? So if it, if I spent ten dollars to do say an advertisement for coming to America too, and James saw that, 
What did James as a person, not James as a household, what did James as a person, what did he come into our ecosystem and do? Did he now watch Community to America too? Did he go shop at Whole Foods now? Did he order his prescription? Did he buy shoes from Zappos? Did he order such and such? Did he do all these other things? Did he do Twitch? Did he do all those things that we have? Did he stream music and put money to that, that it rolls up to our, our, our global ST and our ST or our board, so our CEO. And that's how we could kind of determine how are you leveraging your prime benefits? So that was the first role here. Um, guess I get a good job at that, instituted that, I guess so. I was moved into a role they call a chief of staff or technical advisor role. So that was a great role. So I got to um, pair you with one of the members of the STM and you kind of get to see all the behind the scenes tricks. Um, and you get to go to the meetings and you're basically that person's shadow for that year time. And you get to see all how all the magic happens and do those things. So, so when you say, how do you go from category manager to product? If you're doing your category management, with those things I just went through from your customer in line, it's the same way we build products. It's the same way. And you got to think of products, not just a physical, I can hold this pencil, I can hold this box of crackers, I can hold this jar of jam. Products are anything. It can be those things, but it also can be to help you get to that easier, to help you pay for it, to help you move through the store. Those are all products. And it's all how you manage that category you build from the customer. So it wasn't as hard as it sounds to move from that because it's data driven, it's, it's insights driven. And plus also, if you remember, I talked back, you know, in my early news, I went into my specialty was really how do you deal with customers and segment customers and understanding that customer's piece is how you do that. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So you you have the two roles. So you, you grow the mar- marketing metrics organization. You then are a chief of staff following a senior leader and you are head of product management and um, business intelligence for Alexa. And I'm sure everybody either knows about Alexa, has engaged with Alexa, but would love to learn truly what does it mean? That's a big title, but what are you doing at Amazon with Alexa and, and what are you trying to accomplish? So for me, I'm on the Alexa with Alexa. So my focus is primarily in the shopping portion of it. Alexa is um, the biggest AI. Again, we're going to go back to that. ChatGPT was not your first one. Like biggest, it was the biggest and the oldest AI that's been out there around here. Um, so Alexa has many jobs at the same time. Um, my portion is for Alexa is to help you shop. That is my team job to help you shop and be your perfect shopping attempt, your sister. So think of it like. If you're going shopping, you won that lottery ticket that just was sold the other day that we're all like church, checking our garbage and looking to see if it was us. Um, <laughs> but you want to, and you just want to go out with your friends and shop with it. Alexa, uh, my job and my tool, my, my role and my team's role and our, my organization's role is to help you shop and engage with that um, where Alexa helps you shop seamlessly. So Alexa answers your questions you want to know, like, is this the best fabric for me? Even if you're uploading pictures, does this shirt even look good on you? Does that jacket look good on you? Um, do these shoes come in your size or do would you like this vehicle? Alexa, we're shop from a shopping standpoint. Right now, we can help you do everything, but we help you shop and we answer those questions and we go through there. We just engage with you seamlessly, whether you're speaking, you're speaking with your device or you're texting and those up, or you're using, say, an Echo device. And, you know, Alexa appears in many places. I think we talked about this a little bit when we were together back in February on stage. I told people, a lot of people came, they're like, I didn't know that was more like Alexa, but in many places you won't even know. Um, if you buy new cars now, they may ask me when you first get it, if you want to set up your Alexa van. So now Alexa wants to help you shop as you're driving with you. If you have a Fire T, if you have a Dot, an Echo Dot, if you have an Echo Show uh, in your mobile device and your tablets, 
Alexa is there to help you engage when you're shopping. And Alexa only presents herself. This is my team's job when we see that you need help. We're not there to be intrusive, but if we're getting the signals that you need help, we're there to present ourselves and say, hey, how can we help you? Do you know you can do this? Have you tried to do this? And so leading that organization, it means that we have to do that proactively and seamlessly. So I have to know, again, working back with your customer, understanding the category management, building the products, I have to know when to engage with James and when to leave James alone. James knows what he's doing, but maybe he's being sidetracked because he's also on a conference call at work or he's also talking to his kids or cooking. So we have to be smart enough. And that's where our team builds those products and manages that category like that. So like I say, it's very much very close to being the same thing. Wow. that That's it. Well, first of all, it's incredible. I would never have connected the dots like that on potentially how your whole career led up to that. It, it sounds like it would be this big jump, but it sounds like it was just another step in the path. Uh, and then what you're doing with Alexa, it didn't realize that, yeah, you don't want to be intrusive and you actually can sense when we actually need help versus just throwing out offers all the time. And, and I was saying, where do we, where do we X out of this? so that we, can, we can stop it. So, so I want to play it out for, for one more step. Um, outside the holidays, Amazon has this significant event called prime day. Right. And so in summer, 2023, uh, ninth time you've done it, uh, Biggest results overall for Amazon. I did my, I did my, <laughs> um, over 375 million items were sold and shoppers saved over $2.5 billion during that time. You did your homework. Yes, I did. <laughs> those, are the, those are just the U.S. numbers. We now operate Prime Day in many more countries. For ah, there you go. So I'll have to look more. Uh, so why Prime Day? Why did Amazon invent Prime Day? And to your world within Alexa shopping, how does that process or how does Alexa contribute to shoppers during that event? So uh, let me answer your question most. So why Prime Day is, um, as many know, or many have heard probably, at Amazon, we are a writing organization. We don't spend our time doing PowerPoint presentations. Um, it was a belief um, when the company started Jeff Lip that you, you should, if you can explain it in writing, you can get it. And I agree with him because, you know, if you've been in those meetings before, James, where people get so caught up in the bills and the sparkles and stuff, then you're like, why am I here? Like you're 10 minutes in, you're like, you forgot what your roller list was to be talking about because you're worried about the bills and stuff. So we're a writing organization. So we write white papers. And so Prime Day came out of ensuring that customers, our prime members or potential prime members, know their prime benefits. So I'm going to ask you a question, James. Do you know how many prime benefits you have as being a prime member? I have no idea. Probably. I, I probably would way underestimate based tell on what me, you're Just tell me the number. Tell oh, me the number. 40. Okay. <laughs> just... You're close. You're close. You're close. Um, we actually right now today, and I say today because of all, we're always inventing on behalf of our customers, um, building new products. Um, we're at 25. Okay. So I overestimate. And a prime, a prime benefit can be something like your two-day shipping mm, or your prime. Yeah. You receive things on your prime. You're, you know, if you order things and say, do you want to wait till your prime day? Streaming music. Prime videos, your Audible things, buying those, shopping your discounts at Whole Foods, your prescription discounts that you get with good on uh, with um, Prime RX. See, a lot of people don't know about that. So there are lots of Prime benefits that are out there that people have no idea about. And then with Prime Day, it's like, what better thing to do than to celebrate our customers? 
and show other customers, give other customers opportunity at a time that's least expected. Everyone expects to have like, you know, you think globally, but if we're going to talk about just the U.S. as she spoke about U.S. numbers, because we also do things that are prime day in other countries and we do things like prime day that align with other cultures as well. But you expect, you know, Christmas time to be a lot of selling and, you know, Black Friday, all type of things. But what does people expect in July other than like barbecue and hot dogs and things of that nature? So you get to sell and you get to do those things you want. So that's the prime day does. It delivers it and it, and it gives cus- it gives businesses so our, many of our big brands out there that we're, we're talking to, they know, it gives them opportunity to bring their sales forward as well, to offer their stores on Amazon as well. But it also allows our smaller seller partners to reach further than they would normally be able to reach and to reach customers they wouldn't be able to reach and to offer discounts or specials or just, they get all that backing and that push behind them. And so that and so that's when you get with Prime Day. Prime Day is always fell in the summer, except for the one time that was in 2020. One, I believe we shifted it to October because, of course, we kind of were in the throes of some other things here that were going on in the world that caused us to be a little delayed. Um, but that's that's where we, that's what it is. And Alexa and sh- so Alexa plays many places in Prime Day. So if you're on the Alexa team, we're like we have Alexa co-marketing, co-branding, but I'm in Alexa shopping. So Alexa shopping, what we do is leading up into Prime Day, we start to make sure that your Prime Day experience looks like James's Prime Day experience. Corliss's Prime Day experiences looks like Corliss's Prime Day experience. So you will see your homepage start to look a little different. I don't know if during those Prime Day, during those two days last week, if you or your family may have compared, like you opened your app, and like, well, I'm ordering this. And maybe someone in your family is like, well, look at this. And you're like, I don't see that. Or mine doesn't look like that when I open it. We start to make sure because we've learned like the things that, hey, this is what Jane wants. And then we can also tell that when you're shopping for you or if it's a one-off gift, like, oh, let me order something and send it to one of my kids or let me send it to a friend or someone had a baby. Because we've all been in that situation before where I bought diapers for my sister before. And now I keep getting diaper coupons from until I'm like, don't send that juju to my house. <laughs> it was a one-time thing. I was ordered, but you know, so that's what we, so that's how we help you with Prime Day. Then we make sure that you know, so our, our team starts to make sure that you know, like, hey, we start to do things like, um, if you're in your Echo device, like let's say you ordered something, you, you've been eyeing this gadget and it was a high value gadget we call it so it was over a hundred dollars we make sure you know like it's going to be arriving in an hour so that someone's home just so just based off of things that we know about the area and the demographic like we don't want to make sure like we don't want it to be taken off your porch so that way you'll know and this is where we start bringing in all the other data and the email so that's the other part of my life so all that time i was working through category management and so i went back to school again because i continuously learned and i got my doctors in advanced analytics so machine learning and ai and so we started learning those type of things and we understand that, hey, you know, this area has, we've had, we see a propensity of people reporting lost packages or stolen packages. So that's also our team is able to step in there and start saying, okay, well, we're going to make sure that James knows that his package that is a high value item is arriving today. And that algorithm comes from like, you call it back to customer service and you're saying like, hey, you guys said you delivered my box. I've checked the neighbors, looked all over the house. I don't have it. So we start to put those things together and it's not just you, but if we start to notice that within your DNA or your area, then we get a lot of those type of things. We start to notice, okay, well, then your package needs to be delivered that way. So then it's also fed back to our delivery systems. Like, hey, when you deliver this project, product, excuse me, make sure that you're kind of high data set. So that's where Alexa Shock is standing in there. So there's a lot of things that we're doing, a lot of products, a lot of the products that we're building that are not, you know, you wouldn't think necessarily a product per se that you see, but they're products that help your life that you, you get the experience to benefit of. Wow. Okay. We have been in the trenches. <laughs> this is a very busy lady, y'all. So 
I, I can't imagine that. I never imagined that you would spend this amount of time with us. So No, thank you so much for inviting me. The CMA has embraced me for a long time. And thank you so much for inviting me. I feel I, I am more humbled to be invited to be here to talk with you all. All right. So I need you to take a breath for just a second. You, you shared a lot with us. We have a little more left. And this is called Come Up For Air. Finally, Coming Up For Air. All right. So this is a little more fun stuff, even though it sounds like throughout the entire interview, you've had fun. Um, so can you share a little bit about your family? Ah, yes. Um, so let me say, how much you know? I'm the oldest of seven <laughs> to my siblings. Uh, I am a, uh, I am, I have a daughter, a mini version. Well, not mini because she's taller than me. Most of you guys know me. I'm only five foot, three and a half, five, four on a good day. She's six foot. But I have a miniature version of me. She's going to be starting her sophomore year in college here in um, three weeks, and I'm ready for her to go. She's only been home two days because she was studying abroad for summer, but I'm ready for her to leave. She's My nerves are on this this edge. She just finished her first year, and I miss her. But, you know, two days home, I'm, I'm ready to move her in. Um, <laughs> and um, and I, we've been along for a journey, and I, my, my, I have my husband kicking her out. You know, the time when he's been very supportive and along the ride as well. So we've had fun. I am. Um, I have a slew of nephews. I have all nephews of all of all my siblings. I'm the only one who had a girl. So I have all nephews. Um, I, I I am the worst auntie you would ever want to leave your kids with because I give them sugar, candy, everything that you don't give them. I let them watch whatever they want to watch, and I bring them back home to you. And I do that to my ne- my nephews and my godchildren, and everyone just knows that when you leave them with me, that's what you're going to get. They're probably going to come home and do some questionable things, say some questionable things, full of sugar, but they had fun with auntie. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's <me>. great. <laughs> that is great. So um, you have global reach, you, and you talked a little bit about you know where you've been, not only with Amazon, but beyond. So um, what what would be a favorite place for you? Anywhere in the world, where where would you go? Oh my goodness, I travel a lot for both for work and personally. Um, I think a lot of places. I am a habit, a creature of habits. Um, so those who know me again also know I'm a creature of habit. They know they could probably tell you which route she's going to fly if she's going to certain. If she's going to London, she's going to fly this route. She's going to stay in this hotel. If she's going to Tel Aviv, she's flying this route. She's going to stay in this hotel. If she's going near, she. That's always, that's just me, um, creature of habit. This was my life. I have different places that are my favorite for different reasons. I know people laughing when I say this. I love, um, I love the water. I am a um, uh, mommy water, as the word you know they say in in Yoruba. I, I love, I love a mermaid. I love the water. I love being near water. I just got back from vacation, actually. <laughs> Anytime I can be close to water, that's my centering place. Whenever I need to recenter, reset, restart, rethink, clearly I go go to sit by the water. By the water, um, I love going. To London. I love being in London. I love being in London because I love the shop. I love Harrods and Selfridges. I'll spend one day in Harrods, one day in Selfridges, and I'm ready to fly back. Every time I'm there, my team laughs. But I'm not there. I, I love going home to Germany. Um, that's where my family. That's where I found. That's where I grew up. I love being home, my family. I I love everywhere. I think. I went to Peru, my one of my closest friends' 50th birthday a few years ago, and oh my goodness! If you guys have never been, booked a trip. And we spent a few days in Cusco, a few days in Lima, then we spent a few days up in Machu Picchu. Absolutely breathtaking. 
I, I just I, I love to travel. I'm always booking trips. I'm um, I'm headed to Zanzibar and Mombasa in a couple of weeks in October. Um, yeah, I, I just I just love to travel. This is a big vast world, so I, I work hard, but I play hard as well. I, I play hard as well, so I love to travel. So my favorite, and then really my favorite, my most my ultimate favorite place is just somewhere with good friends, good friends, good food, and lots of laughs. As you see. I don't take too much too serious. Life is already hard enough. I don't take it. I mean, I take it serious to get it done, but I'm not going to stress. We're going to get it done. We're going to have fun doing it. Got it. Got it. So last question for you, and then we'll let you go on a, on a Friday afternoon. So um, out of all the experiences you've had, out of everything you've learned, what would be maybe two or three, maybe it's just one big one, um, discovery or learning that you've had that might be helpful for anyone listening? Oh, wow. One, I would say one is you need help. You need your help. And by help, I, I put this in the form of you need your board of directors around you. You need your coach. You need your mentor. You need that pulse check. You need the person who may be ready to to ride at dawn with you. Um, you need help. No one can do it by themselves. Whether you're, you are just starting your career in the throes of your career. That's why I feel like I'm in the throes or on the top, you've made it. I don't think I've made it yet. Um, so you you need you always need help. Um, and you find that in the form of good mentors, um, um, good coaches, good friends, good you know, colleagues. Just continue to foster and build those relationships as you go through that. That sort of thing. The second thing I would say is never stop, never stop learning. If you think that you know, or if you think that you've learned it all, I'll tell you, you don't. You don't know, you haven't learned. You're not, you still have a lot to learn. So, so keep learning, keep seeking it out. And don't just learn the things that are presented in front of you. Go dig deeper and prove or disprove the things that you thought you knew or that may have changed. And third, this is probably one of the ones I learned probably about in the last 10 years or so, my career, just kind of, it's work. Have fun doing it. Like people get wound so tight and they, you know, oh, their job becomes who they are. My job is a part of me, but it's not who I am. Um, and and, I, and I, I try to make sure, like I say, when I'm working for an organization, I'm completely dedicated to that company. I'm going to deliver. I'm doing the work. But it's just a part of who I am. Make sure that you keep that perspective and make sure that you you are doing things that you love to do because when you're doing things that you love to do, it never feels like work. And kind of like I said when we were at CMA, I do this because I love shoes. I love fabulous shoes. And I kind of know what I'm doing. So it's like, hey, put two and two together and have fun while you're doing it. And so those are the biggest things I say. Have a community around you, keep learning, and do what you love. Those are the three biggest things I would say take with you in your career. Oh, and fourth and finally I would say is don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to speak up because that's where change comes. And I, I've seen some change in this industry. I want to see more, but don't be afraid to speak up. I, I don't have anything more to add other than thank you. <laughs> this has been amazing. Again, um, for this little podcast, for somebody at your level and your experience and, and your knowledge to to share um, is just amazing. It, we're all very appreciative of the time that you spent and some of the recommendations and, and insights um, that you shared. So thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me very much, James. I, like I say, the CMA has been a part of my journey for a long time. Um, so thank you guys for continuing to 
see what Corliss has to say that's going to be crazy the next time. <laughs> but I really appreciate the invitation. I appreciate you having me. Thank you guys so much. All right. So you've just listened to another incredible episode of ArtCast. Please look forward to more interesting and amazing people like Corliss in the weeks to come. And please don't forget to share ArtCast with your colleagues. For feedback, topic suggestions, guest recommendations, please go to www.catman.global slash ArtCast. All I need for you to do is go down to the bottom of the page. There's a form down there. Fill it out. It comes directly to me. And then I'll make sure to get back to you as soon as possible. So that, with that, this is James Jackson and Corliss signing off. And you've been in the trenches. Thanks and have a great day.